Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not go you. It's a trap! Hi, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Shell Inherit. I'm Daniel Pickett. And I am still Jason Lindsay. When is that going to change? I've been waiting to do that for, what is it, episode 98 today? No, it's just 91. 91. I've been waiting yeah. to do that Unless you've come back from the future, anything's possible. Because you were you were gone for a while. You were gone for a week. This is the retcon episode. So I don't know what you were doing in all that time. You don't want to know what I was doing in all that time. That's that's probably. Let me tell you, if if you get to Chicago, and if you can, I recommend staying at the Trump on Wabash. Yeah. Oh my God, it was like uh, we had an apartment in Chicago. Do they have a two-pay turndown service? They do. They have comb. It's a comb-over service. They have a two-pay service and a comb-over right. service. But you know what they have? Tell me. You, they have your, your choice of pillows. Oh. There is a pillow menu. There are pillows that have, uh, you know, natural things in them that help you get to sleep, that soothe you, that whatever. You have a menu of pillows to choose from. Wow. Full I think a lot of our listeners would like to have. That. I think so too. Full when they listen to us, full, um, you know, full, you know, uh, uh, dishwasher, refrigerator, freezer. I mean, it's like an apartment. It's essentially is an apartment. And, and then, like your your room is cleaned up by one of the Miss the losing Miss America contestants. That's right. right. Or 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 a, a secondary member of the Trump family. Okay. All right. The yeah. Trump they don't talk about. You know. Right. And apparently, I didn't know this till about day three. I thought it was the largest building tallest building uh, in Chicago. It is the tallest building in the world. The Trump That can't be possible. <laughs> According to their information, it is. It is the tallest. There's that crazy place in Dubai that was in the last Mission Possible movie. This is taller, I guess. Saying it's the t- tallest in the... Oh, maybe it's the country. Maybe it's... Uh, that might be true. Maybe Dubai's, maybe Dubai's got us on that. Oh. Bastards. Uh, was Damn, they're tall buildings. It was a fun stay and uh, an extensive current features menu for for movies. Oh, caught nice. up on a couple of films at the same time while okay. I was there, and was uh, just a minute away from meeting uh, Elias Codius. You know that actor? I don't. Oh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 you, he's in everything. You know, he's one of those just yeah. those character guys that's been around forever, and he's just uh, my wife said he's just the nicest man. And he was so nice. And, you know, then I, when I, of course, when I heard that they, he was there, I said, oh, did you tell him how much I love Zodiac? You've got to talk about Zodiac. And then the next time she saw him, she mentioned Zodiac, and he was just thrilled that anybody remembered that he was in Zodiac. And just seems like a really nice guy. So I think we're going to become friends. I would have had you kick him in the shins for that last season of The Killing. Was he in the last season of The Killing? Yes. I never saw any of that. Wasn't he Casey Jones in the Ninja Turtles movies? He might have been. He goes, I mean, I remember him. Do you remember Crash? Not the Crash that won Best Picture, but the David Cronenberg Crash that was based on that Ballard novel. With 
Oh gosh, yeah, that was like uh, James Spader, James Spader and, and Holly, uh, Holly Hunter. Yeah. yeah, he was in that, and he, okay. he was in the Thin Red Line. I mean, he's been in everything. He was in. Did you ever see the remake of Let the Right One In? Yeah, yeah. Remember, he was the cop. Yep. I mean, he, he's just a wonderful, wonderful character actor. He's he's been in everything. Um, and uh, she said he was just delightful. Couldn't have been couldn't have been nicer. So I, I would have liked to have met him. I think we'll become very good friends. I think Elias and I could hang out maybe. There's still there's still time. You got to go back, right? Yeah, he's my he's just my kind of guy. I can just tell. Uh, so I'm sorry I was away, but uh, it was a productive uh, time away. And uh, now we're back, and I'm going to be gone next week as well. Just as a heads What's up. with you? I know. I know. I'm a very, very busy man, Mr. Bond. Uh, going to be in New York next week um, in the city and then to go visit my brother and his family, who I haven't seen oh. in a while, uh, for Halloween. Okay. So that'll be- oh, nice. Yeah. Halloween in New York. Halloween in New York. We're doing a thing uh, on Halloween night. I can't think of where this is now, uh, but it's about a half hour from where we're going to be, and it's called the, the, the annual, you know, Halloween blaze or pumpkin blaze and it's like a, a a huge outdoor area where they make sculpture out of jack-o'-lanterns so they have you know a t-rex or you know like the headless horseman or something all completely made out of, of pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns and, they, oh, that's and then they light them up and you walk through this kind of maze of sculptures uh, on Halloween night um, we read about it somewhere and it happens to be close to where we're going to be so we're going to do that for Halloween. Like, what are the odds, you know? Nice. Yeah, it should be cool. All right, I, lo- I looked him up, and I can confirm that he was Casey Jones in the Ninja Turtles He movies. was Casey Jones in both movies? In one and two. Wow. There were three, but three live action. Wow. There you go, from Tiny Steve's yes. Sapling Spring, or whatever the phrase is. Um, yeah, he's just he's also in, um, he's in Zodiac, Let Me In, he was in Shutter Island. Shutter Island. That was the more recent one, too. He was in a very Harold and Kumar Christmas. No, was he? He was. Who was he in that? He was Sergei Katsoff. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because I only saw the first one. And what's his name is in the first one. The guy, I always get them mixed up, or I used to get them mixed up. Christopher Maloney and Elliot yes. Codius. I would get them mixed up. I did, too. You know? And yep. and um, uh, Maloney is in the first one, the first Harold okay, yeah. Kumar. Yeah. Very bizarre, with Malin Ackerman. Um, so yeah, so he's he's been he's done everything. That guy. He's been a lot. Yeah, I'm looking through his list here, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's. Uh, we got lots and lots to talk about as usual when we miss a week. He was in Gattaca. That was one of my. I love that film. Gattaca. That's the one. Um, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. And Jude Law, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, Andrew Nichol did that. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah, that's a good that's, movie. There's some good stuff in there. Yeah. Well, Zodiac, I mean, you've seen Zodiac, right? I have, yep. Man, I love that movie. Just the, the, the detail in that thing. Like, there is, there is, outside of a couple of family scenes uh, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, where, where you delve into him, you know, dating somebody or getting married again or whatever. There's not a wasted moment in that movie. It's just nonstop investigation information. 
yeah. you know, you got to keep up. And uh, he's the Vallejo cop, I think, that did one of the cases. And he's wonderful in um, The Thin Red Line. Just very, very haunt. No one is wonderful in The Thin Red Line. Oh, my. Are you kidding me? That film is unwatchable. That is not true. That film is ponderous. And it's difficult Ugh. to get through. It is not on watch. But well, I'm sorry, what? Nolte is great in it. Sean Penn is Nobody's great in it. Nobody's good in it. Awful. Elias is great in it. And there's actually a deleted scene. You can find also snooze Mickey Rourke. It's about a minute-long scene. And it's Mickey Rourke. That's just waving grass and alligators sliding into the bog. You know, there's, we, let, let's not talk down to our listeners. There are some people that can get through a movie without explosions every five minutes, Mr. Pickett. Ugh, there's a, it's a film poem, right? A few, few of them out there. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not defending uh, what's-his-face. I think his stuff is – Terrence Malick has done some great stuff, but I think he's overrated and, and gets very ponderous. Uh, but if you think Thin Red Line was tough to get through, have you tried Tree of Life? No, because I saw Thin Red Line and I went – don't need to go back to that well. Tree of Life makes Thin Red Line look like Top Gun. Oh, God. Okay? Uh, but there's good stuff in Thin Red Line. It's just tough to get through. There's some very good Oof. acting in it. And, and this, this deleted scene with Mickey Rourke is heartbreaking. It's only like a minute long, and he's just amazing in it. Uh, but unfortunately, it was cut. You know the story about that, real quick, speaking of Terrence Malick? Do you remember when that movie came out that uh, Adrian Brody was everywhere? He was on every magazine doing all the talk shows. Adrian Brody was going to be the face of the Thin Red Line. And the movie comes out. He's in it. He doesn't have a single line in the movie. And <laughs> didn't know that until he got to the premiere. Wow. Terrence Malick had changed the entire thing, and none of his lines were in the movie. And well, there was, there was a lot of important waving grass and tree shots that needed to be substituted in. Yeah, when you got a, a lizard or a, an insect ready to go, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't, get, can't get all these pesky actors and dialogue yeah. in there. Or plot. Can't put them, on, put them on hold. Come on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So enough about Terrence Malick and Elias Codius. Let's talk about what you're excited about. All right. Uh, so, I, you know, I've talked about it before, and I was excited about it ahead of time, but now I'm I'm fully immersed in it. I have the the Marvel Lego superheroes game. Okay. It came out this week, and it's everything that I want Agents of Shield to be, and is not. You mean you want acts walking around looking like Lego pieces? Yes. No, I want uh, I want actual superheroes. I want uh, Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson being snarky, uh, which he is in the Lego game as Agent Coulson. You want good acting, and you want effects that don't look like they came out of Hercules, the legendary journeys from the early 90s. That's right. Okay. It's just right now, it, it's just a whole lot of nothing, it feels like, that show. But this game is, you know... You're sitting there playing as as Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow, and suddenly the Human Torch shows up, and you get to like be the Human Torch. But, and I, I'm sorry to keep hammering this home. Yes. But you are Lego people, right? You are Lego people. Yes. I mean, they're Lego people. That doesn't make any difference. Well, it can't be that cool if they're Lego. People. It's very very cool. They're Lego because you get to do everything you wanted. They're to, Lego people. as all these characters. That's like doesn't matter. Being fidgets. I don't even know what that means. Well, you know, it's like a fidget. It's between a dwarf and a, a regular human. <laughs> Never heard that term it's before. It's a made-up term. I'm 
I'm sure you just offended <laughs> someone somewhere. I'm sure a lot of our fidget listeners are very offended by what I said. Uh, so, so it's got narrative, it's got plot, it's got action, it's got everything. It's got the whole, whole city of New York. You can show up to, like, the Marvel Comics building. Uh, I was the Human Torch. I flew straight up the Empire State Building last night just to see what was up there. Uh, you know, shield helicarriers you can explore. You start off on the shield helicarrier. Uh-huh. And, and in order to get to your mission, you just jump off it and skydive, which is awesome. As a, as a Lego man. As a Lego person. Okay. And uh, Deadpool keeps showing up in the background doing cameos of dumb things. As a Lego person. Like he, look, I'm telling you, you, you cannot judge this until you've played it. But you will play it and go, this is what I want. I'm sure. It's just the Lego, the Lego people throws me because they're little cartoon people, the little fat cartoon people. They look like Lego minifigures, that is correct, but they have all the powers and personality of your favorite Marvel heroes in a way that you've always wanted to play them. I'll try to give in to it, but I'm not sure. It's gonna, it might be tough, but I'll try. All right. I'll try. Uh, but it's fantastic. We're, we've played it about eight hours total. We're, I think, 8.5% done. Wow. that was. I See, I always assume that it takes a lot longer than that. You know, like it takes literally months to like sort of conquer the game, kind of thing. No, not, not if you not if you play, uh, you know, for a long time. Not if you just poop your pants, just sit there and <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Never leave the couch. Okay, I think yeah. I. So it's fantastic, and then uh, by the time people hear this, uh, Arkham Origins will be out. That comes out Friday of this week. So getting that too. My wife is out of town, so I don't plan on putting pants on the whole weekend, just pretending I'm Batman on in a video game. And here's an image that the listeners will never get out of their heads. Just so you know, when you hear after you've heard this episode, you'll know I've spent the weekend pantsless with my cowl on being Batman. And that about wraps it up for episode 91, everybody. Thanks for listening. How about you? What are you excited about? I'm excited because there's a new trailer that's come out uh, for a film called Nonstop with our old pal Liam Neeson. And this is a film that is co-written by my buddy Chris, who I worked with uh, a few years ago. You, you cut out there. It's Chris Roach. Is his yeah, name. Chris Roach. It's co-written by my buddy Chris Roach. Who was who also my buddy. Yeah, you know, you know Chris. I worked yeah. with Chris on a show a couple years ago. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, and it's an it's an amazing story how this script you know came to be. It's too long to talk about, but um, he just you know got into this great situation and came up with the goods, and they went with this script. They it, it happened very very quickly from from you know purchasing the script to filming was like in in, a, in an instant. And uh, it's coming out in February, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm sure it's going to be a big hit, but it's called Nonstop. And I just wanted to say congrats to Chris for achieving this. Uh, I'm sure the start of many, many great things. And it's really cool to see the trailer and, you know, hear what he's talked about and the story and everything and seeing little bits in the, in the trailer. And then you, know, you see his name there in lights, you know, at the end. It's very, very cool. So um, uh, it's exciting to see that. It's nice to see friends uh, doing well. So that's very exciting. I completely agree. Yeah, very cool. Um, and speaking of trailers, and yes. speaking of wetting your pants, messing your pants, <laughs> I just watched, because yeah. you told me that the Captain America, the Winter Soldier trailer hit. 
Yes. I just watched and I, and I said you have to watch it before we record this episode. And I'm still picking my chin up off the off the floor. And you watched it while we were we were online together so I could hear your reaction. <laughs> and you were very excited because it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's just you know how I know I this is a sore subject and I know we keep going back to it, but listen, I watched Man of Steel again because my wife hadn't seen it. And the third or fourth flashback, just out loud, she just goes, oh, come on. What are we doing? <laughs> you know, and she's not even a geek. It's just like, let's just get to it. And then, of course, when we got to it, we got too much of it. But all those trailers, that was everything I feared in those trailers. I look at this Captain America thing, and maybe it's going to be something that, it's, that we don't think it is. Maybe it's going to be bad somehow. But everything I see in that trailer, I go – Oh my God! Do you remember when this is? This is. I always talk about this because this is. Regardless of what we think of those movies, the day. Do you remember the day the episode one trailer hit CNN? Yes. And it was just like on a loop. Yeah. And I was working on a show called Real TV, uh, Hollywood Center Studios, and I immediately grabbed a blank tape, popped it in, and recorded it like three times, and watched it over and over and over. I mean, this was a new Star Wars movie. Oh my God. And it was a fantastic trailer. Yes, it was. It really wasn't. It? I mean, don't. Oh, it was. I watched it a dozen times in that first hour. And you can still watch it today and go, "What is going on? This looks yeah. great." They're talking about the history and things beginning, and what is that ship, and what is that thing? And then there's a shot of Jar Jar Binks. I think he's like caught between two things, and he gets zapped in his tongue or something. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw that trailer, I went. Well, that doesn't look very good. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of worried, worried about that guy. Oh, oh, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. And then Darth Maul pops up. Darth and Maul pops up. A couple lightsabers. And you're like, what? He's got two lightsabers. There's a ship and there's a thing. And it's like, oh, my gosh. It was everything a trailer should be. It was, it yeah. was marvelous. Yeah, and, and I think one of my favorite things was <laughs> you were watching it. And I could hear the audio of it. And then you just blurted out. Redford! <laughs> that was the you know first what? thing you said. Like, when it kicked off, I forgot that he was in it. I totally did, too. I totally forgot how excited I was when I, when I first heard that. And then to see him, you know, in action. Because the brilliant thing about casting him in whatever this part is going to be, truly, if you were going to make a Captain America movie in the 70s, if you were going to be able to make a, a Captain America and the Falcon you know, Kirby-esque movie in the 70s, which I always wanted to see. Big budget, giant movie. It would have been Redford. Yeah. You would have cast Redford as Steve Clark. Steve Clark? I'm kidding. <laughs> Steve Rogers. <laughs> I'm going to, since, since I made uh, one mistake that people caught in the last episode, I'm going to try to drop a couple of gaffes into every episode. And then what do people win? They get their own no, Jason no prize? They get a no prize, yeah. They get a Lindsay, okay. a Lindsay no prize. Um, speaking of, we should just go back to that real quick, that last episode. What I meant to say regarding the, the deleted uh, scenes from Empire was it would have been the first time in the movies that we heard the name Boba Fett, not the only time. I should have said first, because we first hear it in the holiday special when Boba Fett introduces himself and says, I am Boba Fett. Um and the other thing is, I said Frank Quitely, and I meant John Cassidy, uh, that astonishing X-Men artist. Uh, 
um, anyway, so Steve Rogers, so he would have been Steve Rogers in, in the seventies, you know, yes. and someone like, I don't know, Carl Weathers or someone would have been the Falcon. Don't you, don't you think? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Right. I mean, if it's, if you're going to do a Captain America in 76, 77, those would have been yeah. the guys. I mean, yeah, probably. they wanted Redford for Superman, for God's sake. Like, yeah. that almost happened, you know? Um, so, yeah, no, I just, I just loved every, every single second of it. And it, and it, it made me think of, uh, I just not long ago finished the PBS superhero documentary that we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, that came out. Three-part uh, thing. Never-ending battle. I thought that was wonderful. It's fantastic. I think that was really well done, and it hit... All the all the bits, all the notes, all the significant signposts throughout history, and I think it did a pretty good job of recognizing the talents of the giants whose shoulders everyone is standing on now. Yeah, you know, it's hard. For me. Well, I mean, to be able to get, you know, they talked to Carmine Infantino before he passed away. Yep. You know, Joe Simon. You know, they had footage of Kirby talking. Yeah, and Cooper. I mean, Cooper too. Yeah, but they have all the guys that were actually doing it. It's not just talking heads and people saying, oh, I read this, or oh, you know, there was a little bit of that. You know, you had like Adam West and Linda Carter and stuff. Uh, You also had our our buddy Ed Cato from Captain uh, Captain Action, which is great. He was in there. It's great to see him. I'll tell you what I thought was fun was when they would read the panels. You'd go like, oh, they called called Timothy Daly. They got Tim Daly to come back and do Superman's voice. Oh, yeah. Adam West is doing the Batman thing. You know, they didn't really acknowledge it, but you'd hear it uh, here and there. I thought that was very cool. And it, it, did, it did very much feel like if we don't get some of these people now, we may never get them again. Like right. it felt like this could be the definitive last time you're going to get from the horse's mouth, you know, some of these stories. The heartbreaking thing, of course, always is the Siegel and Schuster thing. And when you see yep. that footage from the mid-70s of him working as a postal clerk and all that – what what always astounded me is how badly it went for them, but how secure and how well it went for Bob Kane and Will Eisner. Oh, they yeah. seem to have had completely different deals. I mean, Bob Kane, the you know story. I mean, his father or someone like took took care of it, where he got the credit and it was his thing. You know, and he's been yeah. just fine. And Eisner, I think, you know, owns. But even, I mean, with the Bob Kane thing, it's it's to the exclusion of Bill Finger a lot That's, of times. There, and there's that too. And like Finger, and they they did a good job of acknowledging Finger in this. Um, yeah. I think, but they, they, I forget who it was that said. It was kind of cool. Where some somebody said when they when they were referring to the origin, which of course is so much of Batman's history, so much of what that character is. Someone said, I'm not sure who came up with the origin exactly. Right. Which was nice to see because it's like maybe it wasn't Bob Kane. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe he wasn't because that's just, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's like the Stan Lee thing. It's like there's all those people that are Stan Lee haters because he was the huckster. He was the guy out front, clearly with an ego, clearly thinking about himself, clearly larger than life. But you can't, you know, you can't um, – overstate what the guy did and even when, even in the doldrums in the 70s when he was out in LA trying to push animated series and movies or TV series and stuff he was still you know he's working you know he's getting paid to work so yeah. you know what I mean but he he changed that industry though just in his personality oh, absolutely. and that that sense of inclusion and 
what you were a part of if you were a Marvel reader it, that, that no one at DC was doing. And so it becomes, you know, would it have been because you're the guy and you're the co you're the you're the writer and the co-creator of all these things. The more you're out there, the more you're out front, the more the the populace is going to think you're responsible for everything. So yeah. is it his fault? Like, should he have every time he opened his mouth said, I'm Stan Lee, co-creator with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, every time he spoke? Should there have been someone else that wasn't involved with these creations to have been out front as a Marvel spokesperson? You know, I, I don't know because it's like he, 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 he was radical, the things that he did. And the you know, late 60s and this, you know, all the university tours and the lectures and all that stuff, you know. And so, of course, the more the name gets said and the more the spotlight is on the person, the more the efforts of the other people get diminished. Unless every yeah. time he opens his mouth, he's mentioning Ditko or Kirby, you know, et cetera. Right. Um, did you ever see that documentary, by the way? Did you ever finally see that uh, Searching for Steve Ditko documentary? No, I haven't seen that yet. You've got to see that. Jonathan Ross okay. and Neil Gaiman. Put it together, and Jonathan Ross yeah. goes to find Steve Ditko. If you look through the internet, <laughs> there are literally two photographs that exist of Steve Ditko. Okay, he, he is a, an enigma. He's still in New York. He still has an office and does some comics. Uh, but it's fascinating. And for the first time, I'm not going to, you know, you got to see it. Uh, Jonathan Ross really puts the screws to Stanley on camera and says, "Are you willing to say right now?" That you co-created Spider-Man, you got to see it. It's it's uncomfortable viewing, and it's, it's okay. and it's interesting to see the way Stanley handles the question, and the and the the document that Lee finally put together several years ago that says to set the record straight, you know, Steve Ditko, blah blah blah. Um, so it's it's fascinating, and the whole you know the bullpen and how much these guys got paid, and you know, it's always in any industry, I suppose, it's that. How could they have known? How could they possibly have thought what they were doing was going – we'd still be talking about what they were doing? Well, yeah, in the, the PBS thing, you know, Stan tells the story. And, you know, if anyone who's listened to him talk for a while knows that, you know, he was, he was at Marvel before all this stuff took off, all the superhero stuff, writing like westerns and romance stuff mm -hmm. and just hating it. You know, he wanted to be a novelist. And he was getting ready to quit. And he went home and told his wife, like, I can't do this anymore. It's so unfulfilling. And she just says, well, have you tried writing the thing you want to write? Yeah. And he put together the Fantastic Four, you know. But, I mean, if he had not gone home and talked to his wife that night, there's a lot of this stuff we wouldn't have. Yeah, and it's just that it was, what I thought was really fascinating that it did a very good job of, of – uh, you know, marking through history are those ups and downs between the two big companies. And, you know, they always say like, you know, pop culture, music, movie industry, whatever it is, abhors a vacuum. So when something yeah. gets quiet on one end, attention get you know, like, like one minute, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, but like one minute, you know, Lady Gaga is the new Madonna and my God, everything she does has to be reported and within an, a 24-hour period Miley Cyrus does what she does and and no one's talking literally no one's talking about Lady Gaga anymore it's the spotlight yeah. has already changed and you look at this documentary and it's like oh my gosh you know they they found this 
when Stan did that, like the, the audience, it was just the there were so many times where they judged the audience so well. You know, they saw the yeah. curve coming and they planned it very well. Yeah, there were missteps, but they they seemed to be very in tune with stuff. A lot of these writers and artists. Um, always great to see Neil Adams talking about stuff uh, and Denny O'Neill. Just, oh just yeah, all, that was great. Just all, you can see pictures of Denny O'Neill with hair. Oh yeah, the turtlenecks and the great vintage uh, footage. My favorite is is Starenko. Anytime yeah. you want to sit that guy down to talk, I will listen. I think he is just uh, just wonderful. I have. Speaking of toupee turndown, that is not a toupee. Um, uh, they. Uh, do you remember the magazine in the early '80s called Preview Magazine? Is that Oh sure, I had a subscription to preview. That was Taranko. He he did that thing. Oh, okay. and uh, uh, they did. There's a there's an issue with Popeye on the cover. So it's 1980, maybe early. 80s. The, the Robin Williams. Yeah, Robin Popeye, Williams, Robert Altman, Popeye. Yeah. And in there, there is a a an article on Raiders of the Lost Ark, and there is a pullout section, a pullout color section, that folds out into a poster. With you know, because Starenko helped build that character. You know, uh, Spielberg and Lucas said, you know, Bogart, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you know, leather jacket, bullwhip. You know, they put all that stuff together, and Starenko came up with the first visuals. Allegedly, you know, uh, Landis's wife was the costumer, and supposedly she did too. But there are these pre-production pieces, about three or four pieces that Starenko did for Raiders, and. The main piece that it folds out into was used as the cover for the Kenner Raiders of the Lost Ark board game that came out in 1981. And oh, okay. the only thing they did is they took the cigarette out of his mouth on the, on the cover of the board game. But it's Starenko that, that built this character, that built this guy visually. And I took that, I've got two copies of the, of the magazine, and I took out and I framed that, that piece of art. Because it's everything in one piece of art. You go, that is Indiana Jones. That's what this guy should be. And it's Taranko. And his stuff is, you know, his stuff is some of my favorite uh, Marvel stuff. His Nick Fury stuff is mind-blowing. Yeah, Just yeah. goose pimply. Uh, so that would I, I wish, cool. I wish in the last hour they had gone more, you know, they touch a little bit on image. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen him talk more about, like, Ninja Turtles and the black and white explosion and all that stuff that happened with Valiant and the chromium age like all that stuff kind of got dusted over yeah i would have loved to see more of those you know like even going back like jim shooter and the whole secret wars thing like none of that really got touched on no but like you're right there wasn't there wasn't a lot about this sort of more underground stuff you know like yeah. even like the tick you know something like that that yeah. spawned a couple of industries you know um yeah they they did they did i mean there were there were things that i thought were sort of, I mean, look, yes, he's my friend, and, you know, Alex wasn't in it because they didn't want to pay for a crew to go to Chicago, and he's not going to travel to New York or L.A. to get interviewed. Uh, but, you know, what he did when he showed up, uh, it wasn't exactly a revolution, but it was definitely a signpost for artists. If you're going to talk about Frank Miller, you've got to talk about Alex Ross and yeah. Marbles and Kingdom Come, and just that his style alone, even if you spend 30 seconds on it. I was kind of surprised that that wasn't even mentioned. I agree. Um, uh, but, you know, overall, you're, you're trying to cover so much ground. 
Now, yeah. We never did see Eisner on camera. There's no, there's no, there's no um, historical footage of, of Eisner, and he was oh, right. in many ways he set the blueprint for so much stuff. Um, you know, spirit gets sort of a mention, but it was it was great. I mean, that it, the fact that we're still talking about it, you know, all this time into the episode tells you how much we enjoyed it. We have so much more to talk about. Um, can we talk? But yeah, if if you enjoyed it, uh, and, or if you haven't seen it yet. On the DVD, there are probably eight uh, interviews that are much longer, like with Joe Simon, a bunch of those guys. So there's a, a bunch of DVD extras that if you love this sort of thing and want to see more, you can if you get the DVD of it, which is available through PBS.com. Yeah, I, want, I think I'm going to get the DVD. I've, already, I've saved it in my, my DVR, but I think I might actually get the DVD. Um, I want to just talk about something real quick, and we'll, we'll move on. But um, – Someone passed away who was near and dear to us, I think both of us, and I think to the geek community in general, and I, and I think is an unsung, a true underrated unsung hero of animation, and that's Lou Scheimer, uh, yep. co-founder of Filmation. Uh, he's been sick for a while, as we know. Uh, I, I met him a couple years ago at Comic-Con, and he wasn't doing so hot. Um, I luck, I'm very lucky to meet him and get a picture with him. Um, last year I went by the table and he wasn't there, and I said, "No, he's he's you know he's not not too happy right now." Uh, and he and he so he was sick for a while, so I'm glad he's not suffering anymore. Um, but he really he colored so much of our childhood with so many shows. Yeah, he's getting a lot of press right now in the Master of the Universe uh, community because he was instrumental in that. Yes. And uh, but I mean, going back earlier than that, like Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids and Tarzan and New Adventures of Batman, like that was the stuff that I really cut my teeth on. You know, well, the one that, that kind of changed part of my life was the the Flash Gordon animated series at Filmation. Oh, sure. Yeah. I talk about it all the time. I say it is. I would say Flash Gordon, Johnny Quest, and Batman the animated series are the three best animated series ever done. And, and and this, I mean, I was, it was like opening a new toy every Saturday morning to watch Flash Gordon. I was obsessed with this show. And, you know, then came the toys. Then came the comic reprints that my father found for me. Then came the movie. Then came the Queen soundtrack. Like, it all it all goes together. And there's, an, there's a, some really cool, if anybody wants to find out, you can go online, I'm sure, and get this information, where a lot of what, what Filmation was doing with this Flash Gordon series, which they then made into a 90-minute feature, the first part of it, uh, which still, that first half hour still is not officially on DVD, which really pisses me off because it's brilliant stuff. Um, they were doing a lot of it in conjunction with De Laurentiis. While he was trying to get the film going, he helped finance some of what they were doing and used some of their designs as well in their planning of the Flash Gordon movie. Um, but he also, uh, Scheimer was also very, very good about keeping uh, a lot of American animators working, keeping the work in yep. the U.S. when a lot of it was going overseas, much being done much cheaper. Um, yep. So for that alone, he's, he was quite a pioneer. Yeah, like Paul Dini has said, you know, thanks for giving me the shot, you know, yeah. help get him in. Yeah. And, uh, and not just, you know, as a producer and stuff, he was a voiceover actor. He was... Orko in Master of the Universe. He was Batmite in Batman. Yeah. I mean, he was. If you look, if you watch the, the Flash Gordon series, I'm almost positive. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. It's it's his narration 
chapter, he did do a lot of the know, narration. Chapter five, stuff. the moons of Mongo. You know, he would just, he would put on this kind of uh, 1930s serial kind of voice, and that's the other thing he did for Flash. It was a serial. He he yeah. he tried to make it like the strip and like the old serials, and so and that was the downfall of the show, unfortunately, because then when they wanted to syndicate, it was like, well, what, you know, if you miss a week, you're lost, kind of thing. And that was the only time that they ever did that, I think, Filmation. Um, it's a brilliant series. If anybody's never seen Filmation stuff, doesn't know what we're talking about, please rent Flash Gordon, the animated series from 1979. It is, it is a bit of genius. And um, the guy that did the voice of Flash Gordon also did the voice of Tarzan. In the, that's a great series. Why that's not on DVD, I don't know. But do you remember that series? Oh, sure, yeah. Where the apes spoke... Just yep. like they did in the books, you know, and he had that little monkey, Nakima. Yep, which I think he was also, that was Lou doing that voice, too. Of oh, the monkey, yeah. Of, yes, he was. of Nakima, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and a guy called Robert Ridgely did the voice of Tarzan and Flash Gordon. And he was the colonel in Boogie Nights. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, character actor. But you, you remember Boogie Nights, he was the colonel. And you're like, he was the voice of Flash Gordon? You joked? Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so rest in peace, Lou. Yeah, passed away just like two days shy of his 90th birthday. And uh, it really made me sad. It made, it, uh, I, you know, not to be hokey, but all those people that make comments and say, oh, it's a piece of my childhood, it's gone. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a huge part of my childhood. All the, and you knew a filmation show. You know, you knew when you saw it that it was – also, let's not forget the Star Trek animated series. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was instrumental in keeping the mythology of Star Trek going in between the original series and the first film by doing the animated yep. series and getting almost the entire cast to do their voices. Yep. And it is, it is considered, as far as I know, there are some disputes in the Star Trek community, but I believe that those stories are considered within canon. Uh, that's right. A lot of people do consider that. Yeah, of the Star Trek world. I think it's the first time we see uh, Spock's childhood. Yep. The thing they talk about, he goes out in the desert to have to you know, fast for two days or something and fight a bear or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Um, I think it's in the, in the show. So rest in peace, Lou. And his wife was horrible, too, when I met her a couple years ago. Um, so our thoughts go out to them and... Uh, Please post thoughts if you, you have any on filmation and all that. Yes. Um, lots of so speaking of trailers, there's another trailer that you uh, mentioned and we both had seen because we're big Wes Anderson fans. The uh, Best Budapest Hotel is that what it's called? That's right. Yeah, uh, that's just hit and it looks fantastic. It really does look delightful. It, I literally watched the trailer three times, and it uh, reminded me of like a Peter Sellers movie from the mid '60s. Like that just kind of zany, you know, madcap Blake Edwards kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, totally. Cast of Thousands. Cast of Thousands. Ray Fiennes is the lead. It looks hysterical. He was wonderful in a movie called uh, In Bruges, if no one's seen it, with um, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And Ray Fiennes is wonderful in it. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, it's got uh, Bill Murray. I mean, all, all, the, all the stable you know, the, the, the stable of actors that he uses, you know, Ed Norton and Bill Murray and um, Jason Schwartzman and uh, Adrian Brody, uh, loads of people, Harvey Keitel, huge cast, and Tilda Swinton, who was in um, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yep. But I didn't know it was her 
until the end credits, and they started showing all the names. Because you didn't know in in Moonrise Kingdom or no, no, in I'm this? sorry, in this trailer, I didn't realize it yeah. was her because the makeup was so amazing. Oh right, uh, on her as as an 84 year old woman. I I go back to this. You know, I got no problem saying I've seen a movie a second time and I like it more or it's not as bad as I thought it was or whatever. Man of Steel is a mess. It is such a ponderous mess of a movie. Uh, Prometheus, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm not saying that it's better than I thought it was. What I'm saying is every damn time that thing is on, I seem to be drawn toward it. Either it's lunacy or it's just why did they do this or what and and – I, I keep wanting it to be better than it is. I keep okay. hoping there's something under there. But all I will say is, watch Prometheus again and take a look at Guy Pierce's old man makeup in that movie. And then go and watch this trailer for the best Budapest Hotel and, and look at Tilda Swinton. I could not believe that was her in that trailer. The makeup was so good. Uh, that's all I'll say about about. That. She does good in makeup, like the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Did you ever see Orlando? Yeah, she was great in Orlando. Yeah, she was in uh, Constantine, right? Wasn't she? I think you're correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, something else we got to talk about here that that might have just sort of been posted as we got to talking. Maybe you heard this. Maybe you didn't. Uh, news is coming through the Star Wars grapevine that. For Star Wars Episode Seven, the official new writers are Lawrence Kasdan and J.J. Abrams. Michael Arndt has been kicked off the film. Huh. Uh, they're saying that this, this guy that's reporting it is saying that uh, there was, he, a few months ago he mentioned that there was tension inside the production. Abrams had been making noise about leaving, got picked up by other outlets. Uh, tension, he says, was about a lot of issues, including um, release dates and schedules, but also about the script. Abrams wasn't satisfied with what Arndt had written and wanted to take a crack at it. Now they're saying that whatever storyline Arndt had come up with, uh, Abrams has completely scrapped his entire script and all the characters, and it's an entirely new set of characters, uh, which is where they want to take it or something. Um, hmm. But the biggest question mark, it seems like, is whether they're ever going to make this May 2015 release date. Right, and now they're saying they be would not be the least bit surprised if that was pushed back to 2016. Maybe Christmas, huh. Christmas 2015, or May 2016. You got to keep it in May. You kind of have to, yeah. I mean, in a way, when I hear something like that or read that, I think, okay, well, that's um, that's a good thing if if they're trying to get it right or something. But I don't necessarily think Abrams' fingers you know, all over a script are what's going to make it better or great. And well, yeah, I had heard a couple of weeks ago from someone in the know that he was not happy with the script. And that was why he was sort of rejecting it initially, kind of the, the outline of where they were going with it. Mm. And uh, yeah, there was a, a thing that came out last week that was uh, like a flyer that was handed out at a licensing expo overseas. Uh-huh. That talked about a lot of Star Wars stuff. Talked about when Rebels will be on. It was kind of a timeline. Okay. Uh, and they, they they still mentioned Star Wars being in May 2015, which you know there there's been speculation that they were going to miss that date for a while, but it was still listed there. But then it also listed you know a couple more episodes of Yoda Chronicles, that Lego thing. But then there was a, a couple of Darth Vader TV specials 
that no one's ever heard of, and still we don't know exactly what those are. Oh, that's weird. That we're mentioning, yeah. You know what's weird? I, what I didn't talk about last time, um, there's a new book out, the third making of, that Rinsler has done yep. for Return of the Jedi, those giant, uh-huh. you know, exhaustive making of books that he does. And there was a, a snippet that was put into uh, one of the newest issues of Empire Magazine, British Magazine. And it's a, it's a round table. In 1981, Lawrence Kasdan, Richard Marquand, and George Lucas talking about where the story is going to go. It's a fascinating read. Just and it's, it, Someone just set up a tape recorder and recorded this conversation. Fascinating because within this conversation, you discover that the idea for Leia to dress as another character in a mask so you didn't know it was her and Chewie to be taken as a prisoner and Lando to already have been at the palace, you know, Jabba's palace and all this, all that came from Richard Marquand. Hmm. He just started throwing out these ideas. It's like, yeah, we could do that. But most interesting is Kasdan, which we've heard him say many times, you know, on record here in this conversation, says to Lucas, someone's got to die. We've got to have some stakes here. Someone has to go. It's, it's got to happen. Okay. And Lucas' immediate response is, you know what? You're already, you're already too wrapped up in the, in the movies of the 80s. Nobody has to die. I always hated that. He goes, I always hated that when I was a kid. I'd be watching a movie and there's five characters and the funny, fun character, you know, he gets killed. I think, why did they kill that guy? Nobody has to die. And Kazan's like, I think somebody has to go. Like, Luke. He's like, no, we're not killing Luke. Like, he was completely against any darkness creeping into this movie. And you see how much Kazan, you know, kind of fought for that. So the fact that Kazan's even involved with this new movie, I've always said is, a, I mean, I'm sure most people think is a great idea because of the stuff he's done in the past. Uh... But Arndt is a great writer, and he did. He was a great pick, I thought. So I can't imagine he wrote a disastrous script or anything. But I just, it just doesn't make me think we're going to see this new universe as soon as we think we're going to. Right. I think that was very optimistic to get all that, all that going. Did you see those, uh, the pictures from the, the outtakes of the Leia Rolling Stone, the Slave Leia Rolling Stone shoot? that surfaced this week? No, I remember that cover, though. I had that that issue. Yeah, so there's like seven other pictures from that shoot that no one's ever seen before oh, that wow. just got released this week. Yeah. Wow. You remember how, you know, we were talking about those deleted scenes. Have you seen those? The, 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 the original trilogy deleted scenes? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know the one, I just, I, I keep going on about this, but I just, I, I love this sort of thing. I love this alternate history kind of thing how the story might have gone or where it, you know, what could have happened. The scene, the deleted uh, other take of, of her and Han in the Falcon with the kiss. Oh, yep. And how it completely changes her character. You know what I mean? Yep. She yep. kisses him back and then says something. And it's, com- it's completely different than what we got in something so, so tiny. And I'll say this again. I've already said it when Man of Steel came out. There's a moment in the original Superman when Clark has to clean up all the football stuff and everyone else is going off having a good time. And then he runs home, you know, and beats them. And they, Clark, how did you get here so fast? I don't know. I just ran, you know. Uh, and then his dad goes, what's going on, son? Ah, gee, dad, you know, I can, I can throw a football farther than any of these guys. And the dad puts his arm around his shoulders and says, son, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, son, I believe you were sent here for a reason. I don't know what that is. But it's not to kick a football, you know. It's not to score touchdowns or whatever. You got a gift. You got you something else, and that's it. 
in one line, you get the love that he had for this kid. You get the destiny, the whatever angst might be there, or the legend to come. They literally spent over an hour in Man of Steel to give us the same thing. Seriously, it, it is it is a yeah. waste of time. That movie. I'm sorry, it's a waste of Cavill. It's a waste of um, Zod. I, I don't I don't know how. I don't know if you love this stuff the way we love it. I don't know how you 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 come away from that thinking that is a great superhero movie. There's a lot of people that love it. I don't understand that. I truly don't understand that. It, there, there, I'm on a on a uh, a Facebook group I think called the DC Multiverse, and they think that this movie is you know Citizen Kane. I mean, it blows away every Marvel movie. It's the best Superman film. They, this movie can do no wrong. And they are so excited about the Superman versus Batman film because of what they got out of this one. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, not only the logic, I'm, I'm willing to forgive a certain amount of, you know, lack of logic or whatever. Um, you know, we're not even talking about the acting. I mean, forget it. Cavill's got nothing to do. There's, there's nothing that goes on in this movie, and then everything happens in the last 30 minutes. And it's exhaustive. It's suddenly like, I know you've wanted this for a long time. Well, here it is. Uh, now, I also saw The Wolverine. Did you see The Wolverine? Yeah, what, we've what, talked about it. What did you think of that? Uh, there was a lot I liked about it, but the whole Silver Samurai thing for me was a mess. I agree with you. However, the stuff that worked, I thought worked really well. Yeah. I thought they got the character. Look, when you see Casino Royale, which I don't think you've seen, so I'm sorry, but but the gist of Casino Royale is he falls in love with this woman. This is the first. One. That was the that was the first reboot, right? The first one with with Daniel Craig. Yeah, I have seen that. One. Oh, you have seen it. Okay, I've seen that one now. Yes, you. They invested enough time in that, and the way they wrote it, you knew it was a short amount of time, but you bought the fact that he fell in love with this woman and that he was he was changing and that it it ends up scarring him and changing his life they they just didn't pull it off with Wolverine and this the Japanese woman in this in this story I don't think I don't think it had anything right. to do with the, the amount of time it just you know it's what we always talk about um, you know Batman begins in the dark night if you figure that out it's about 6 months between those stories and then you get Dark Knight Rises, and it's seven years later. So really, he's only been kicking around for about six months. How many crimes has he solved? How many, how many villains has he beat up? He is a shell of a human being seven years later. He can barely stand up straight. He's got to use a cane, for God's sake. But he hasn't done anything in those seven years. He just went away for seven years. Exactly. So you did too much. Either make him go away for five or six years. Or make him have a terrible accident that happened while he was on duty that he's in, you know, he's, he's, it's changed his life or something. But you can't give us both because it's too much. We don't buy it. I don't buy that he's this legendary character that can barely walk and then, boom, puts a brace on his leg and he's kicking ass and then, you know, he's ready to get back in and everyone knows. He, you know, that's a mistake. Uh, as much as I like about those movies, that, that was a mistake to me. Uh, this Wolverine thing, it's like you just don't buy this this romance. Maybe it should have gone some other way. But when they dealt with just Wolverine, I felt like they got that character right. I feel like yeah. they, he's still doing a great job with this character. You know, the moment where he um, – there's a great moment that's very – it's just a Wolverine moment when he realizes there's something close to his heart that he, that, that's, 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 that's making him not heal as fast as he should. Yep. And you remember what he does? 
Yes. And the tension, and then all of a sudden the, the machine gets kicked, and there's a fight in the other room while he's trying to do the thing, and he's got his blood, and there's the thing. That's right out of a comic book. You know, that was yeah. a great tense moment. So when it worked, I thought it worked. When it worked, I thought it put but, Man of Steel to shame. I truly. But also when he was like walking through the village and the ninjas keep attacking him and just keep throwing yeah. chain after chain after chain up to him. Yeah. He just keeps going. You're like, that's what I always wanted. That was badass. Oh, and speaking of Bond. There's a nice little wink to Bond. Remember when he beats the guy up and he, he's got him by the tie and he says, I'm going to throw you over this balcony. You've got ten words to tell me what's going on. And then he throws him anyway and she goes, how do you know there was a pool down there? Nice shot. And he's like, I didn't. Yeah. That's taken directly from Diamonds Are Forever, uh, Bond. Oh. Um, so when I see that, I, I, I look at Man of Steel and I go, what the f- Think about getting something wrong, just getting the character wrong. And, you know, the reason he's – part of the reason he's as good as he is and he's such a, a great – spirit is because of the people that raised him and suddenly i love the moment with the tornado where it's like no don't come over here no no the tornado's coming any second i would i'd love a spoof one if the tornado then suddenly kind of just shifted to the left behind costner and just kind of went away and he's like, no no don't come over here. but dad no no don't come over here the tornado's gonna hit me any second just don't stay where you are and then he'd look back over his shoulder and it's gone you know yeah look like yeah. a total dick I hated that. Stuff. But, it, but we know Zack Snyder can do Superman right because we also just saw this two-minute clip they put out for the 75th anniversary that covers his whole history. And it's wonderful. So Zack Snyder and Bruce Timm yeah. put together this thing. That's amazing. It's, it's great. But, but again, I, I want that to be the, the next animated series from DC where it just touches on Superman of different eras. Yeah. I would watch a half hour set in each one of those eras every week without fail. Wasn't it just cool to see the kind of rotoscoping like over the Chris Reeve footage? Yeah. And you're like, wow, if they could have done a Chris Reeve animated series, how cool would that have been? You know? No, it's cool. And, and my biggest gripe about it is how much I love Watchmen. I will stand by that movie till I die, how well they did that, how right he got it, how right they got it. The same guy – you know, doing doing Superman, doing this thing, this Man of Steel thing. Anyway, um, I also saw Pacific Rim. Yes. Um, which was completely ex- exactly what I thought it was going to be. Com- just insane. Um, yes. And I liked, you know, some of it. You can't you can't not like big monsters fighting big big robots. Um, and I saw. Uh, I'm going to say a little gem here that I recommend people seek out because it disappeared. Did you ever see Red? Yeah. Did you like Red at all? Did you enjoy it at all? Yeah, I did. I liked it. I thought it was fun uh, to see Malkovich do stuff like that. You know, it just everyone's having a good time. Um, they made a sequel, Red Two. They did. Yes. It's yes. great. Oh, really? It, it's just it, it is it is like you you have to know it's completely mental. You know, it's absurd, uh, over the top stuff, violence, guns, the whole thing. Um, but you just go with it. And it's a fun script. It's funny. It's Malkovich is hilarious. Brian Cox, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones. They're all, you know, doing stuff in here. It's great. And there's a guy. I wish I actually, I feel bad I don't know his name. Remember the guy that played Storm Shadow in the G.I. Joe movies? Yeah. He's in it as well. Now, he is, from what I understand, he and another fellow are like the two biggest actors out of Korea. Like, he is. Okay. he is like the... You know, I guess I don't know. I suppose Tom Cruise-ish kind of person that can do anything, go and you know do whatever projects he wants. 
He's huge in, in Korea. He and another guy, the guy who – did you ever see the original Old Boy? No, I haven't yet. I need to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you now, you will never be the same after you see it. <laughs> okay. There are images that I will never get out of my head that are in the film, and I don't know how they're going to do this remake, which looks amazing. I don't know how yep. they're going to do it. But the guy that's in Old Boy and the guy that's in – the guy that plays Storm Shadow, they made a movie, a Korean film called I Saw the Devil. I Saw the Devil, I think. Did you just see the devil? I, saw the, I, think, it, I think it's called I Saw the Devil. It is one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. Uh, the, the young guy is a good cop. The other guy, the older guy, is a bad guy uh, that is, that is a, a killer. And the cop is sort of going beyond the means to, to, to get this guy. And it, 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 it apparently is one of the biggest movies to ever come out of Korea. But it is so just – it would be – the subject matter and some of the, the – it's such an extreme movie. It's like an NC-17 kind of thing. It would be imagine if like you know Tom Cruise and I suppose Anthony Hopkins or whoever made this kind of a movie. It would be shocking. It's a shocking movie, but this guy's great. This young guy who and he's in Red, Red Two, right? Uh, and he's fantastic in it. He's just great in it. Um, so it should be coming out on DVD any day, and I recommend uh, people check it out because it's it's a fun it's a fun little spy movie. Uh, okay. But between Star Trek Into Darkness, Man of Steel and Pacific Rim, never has there been more carnage and more innocent lives killed in the name of battle in one year of movies than, than those three titles, wouldn't you say? Well, Pacific Rim, I, I, I said this when I told you that I saw it uh, in an episode, they at least for the majority, like the big battle, they hid everyone in underground bunkers. Yes, and did. that made me feel much better about all the the carnage and buildings collapsing. I did get I did get a feeling, even if they didn't say it each time, that they had done some kind of effort to get people out of there. Yeah. So it did not bother me in Pacific Rim. But there's a lot of carnage. Yeah, there is. I mean, it would take, you know, decades to rebuild, basically. So my favorite moment, I think I can probably talk about this now because it's out on DVD and people can see it. So hopefully I'm not spoiling anything. But... Uh, uh, and I alluded to it in, in the episode where I talked about it. I didn't want to say the actual moment. But I, I, I was, there was a lot of just punching monsters. Yes. And I just kept thinking, why don't they use some kind of weapon? I'm thinking like my Shogun Warrior mentality. Sure. And I, and like five minutes after I thought that, that sword extends from his arm. That was cool. <laughs> the guy in front of me goes, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, in the theater. It's just like in my mind I was also going, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> No, that was. So, cool. I, lo- I love that. That was a cool moment. Idris Elba, I can get a little tired of. Always good to see Ron Perlman. Charlie Day wears out his welcome very quickly. Oh boy, I wish he was not in this film. Man, it's just everything's kind of like this. Like, what are we doing? We're gonna go over here. We're gonna go over there. What's going on? Everything. It's like, calm down, man. Just, I just asked how your day was going. Like, calm down. Uh, yeah. But I gotta say, and I'm sorry to say this because I've seen him in other stuff and I think he's okay. Charlie. Hunnam, 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 yep, yep. boy from uh, from Sons of Anarchy, could not deliver a line con- convincingly in Pacific Rim if his life depended on it. Oh, huh. You're the first person I've heard say that. Uh, well, what are people going around saying how great he was in the movie? Like it was a, it was a uh, horse performance? 
Uh, I don't think I've never heard anyone have a problem with him in the film. He's, it's it's again, it's like you look at the guys like you know like Harrison Ford or you know Downey or whoever like you know it, not everybody can pull it off. However bad the dialogue is, you got to pull it off. And I just think he's he's just trying so hard with the brother and the girl, and she's the best one here. He's got to be the one. Like everything he said was just this drawn out you know, American accent, uh, it made me kind of nuts. But again, it should just be about the the giant robots fighting the giant monsters. And that stuff I thought was was fun. It was very Guillermo del Toro. It was very, you could see his, his hands all over that thing. And always... Well, then I guess, I guess you won't be sad that, that Charlie dropped out of Fifty Shades of Grey then. Au contraire, mon frere. I'm, if, you, if you didn't enjoy him in this, then you don't have to worry about him ruining that film for you. Yes, but there's so much that he could have brought to those Fifty Shades. Uh, oh, 50. Like I said, I, I remember him. I remember him in the original Queer as Folk. You know, right. Russell T. Davis Queer as Folk. Like he was, he was like I don't know, seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, yep. eighteen, or something. I remember him in that thing. Uh, yeah, I've like seen him in loads. Of, he's great in Children of Men. Uh, I think he did Nicholas Nickleby. I think he did an adaptation of that, and a bunch of others. I've seen him in loads of stuff. You know, I think he's I think he's fine. I liked him in uh, Undeclared. I thought that was kind of a, a good show. Uh, but the tough guy thing, and just the way he walked and spoke and everything in this, I just thought was was just silly. It was hard to take it seriously. But on the other hand, it was you know it was a cartoon. It was really big and uh, big and silly. What, I'll tell you what my almost one of my favorite moments was was the, mm-hmm. the Japanese woman as a little girl. Oh, yeah. That flashback was great. Yeah. You know, her just running and hiding and just the, that little girl. I, like, I think she was the best person in the movie. Like, she just, she looked absolutely terrified. Um, and it was, it was very Guillermo del Toro. Um, but lots of, lots of carnage. Uh, what else we got to talk about before we got to wrap this up? Well, real quick, you you mentioned Harrison Ford. I'm not sure uh, we didn't have this on the on the outline or anything, but there was an interview he gave this past week. I think it was in a I can't remember if it was a magazine or if it was a, an outlet overseas, where he basically said uh, that he's kind of done with leading man roles. That he he recognizes that as a 71 year old, it's kind of character roles for him from here on out, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, he I saw him. Um like a junket sort of interview thing for 42, the baseball mm-hmm. movie, um, where he played Skeet Ulrich, I believe, in that movie. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Skeet Ulrich uh, was in that film. No, Harrison Ford played Skeet Ulrich. No, I think I think he they, he wouldn't have been alive in that time period. He played Pops from Speed Racer. I Anyway, okay. um, and, and in this interview, he talks about it where he's like, I realized that these are the, you know, that this was a great character part. It wasn't, I'm, I may not be doing the leading man stuff anymore. However, sure. he's also said in recent weeks that he's been talking to Ridley Scott <laughs> about this Blade Runner thing and how he'd love to work with him again, yep. which is completely different than what he said 30 years ago. But uh, you never know. Speaking of 71-year-olds... I have to say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Everyone knows I'm a big Beatle fan, McCartney fan, whatever. I am not the guy that's an apologist, an apologist. I'm not going to just get every McCartney record and say it's fantastic. There's some that I'll, you know, only listen to six tracks. The rest you can dump. Um, 
couple years ago he did one that I thought was was great almost every this new record is the best thing he's done in a long long time he sounds different on every track there's maybe two tracks that I kind of skip past but they're still good uh, he sounds amazing and there's a new single that's coming out called Queenie Eye and the mm-hmm. video actually I think just went up today but there's a cool very cool scene of at Abbey Road and everybody kind of shows up for this thing in the, in the making of, yeah. Um, I think yeah, I think that that went up on his on on the official website or something, where he uh, he's got everybody coming by like Johnny Depp and uh, the Alice Eve, uh, Chris Pine, Jude Law. Everyone just starts showing up to Abbey Road to kind of take part in this in this video. Um, but if you if you're out there if you like McCartney at all or have a uh, affinity for the Beatles. Pick up this new record. Get it at Best Buy because there's some cool stuff that comes with it, and it's you know it's got the bonus tracks, which are wonderful too. Um, this is the last episode um, that we're doing before Halloween. So will this go up before Halloween? Uh, I believe it will. Yes. All right. Um, wait. We should also talk about real quick the new 50th anniversary Doctor Who trailer, Day of the Doctor, oh, Doctor yeah. which yeah. again is one of those things I watched three times when I watched it. Like uh, at least, yeah. I had to just keep watching it and pick up all the clues and stuff. Um, I also got a gr- very cool little box set. It's called the Fourth Doctor Time Capsule. Uh, it was only on the BBC uh, website in the UK. I had to have a friend uh, uh, over in the UK, uh, Bill Frost, uh, get it for me and then ship it over. And it's it's the fourth. It's an, it's an exclusive action figure inside. Fourth Doctor Sonic Screwdriver. All the DVDs are region two, but there's some fun stuff in there, and there's a great DVD that's just a sit-down 30-minute interview with Tom Baker at you know 80 years old, reflecting on his time in the in the role and stuff. Uh, Is it a, one of those uh, underground toys character options yeah, figures? Exactly. It's 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 an okay. action figure of Tom Baker right after he is regenerated. So right after he's gone from Pertwee, he's still in John Pertwee's uh, wardrobe, but it's Tom Baker, you know, for the first time. Kind of thing. Oh, cool! Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat, and um, and it's got some just some fun stuff in it, like postcards and you know a book and an audio thing and everything that comes in this time capsule kind of box. So um, that was an honor of the anniversary, and then that trailer hit uh, right when I got it. So very cool stuff, uh, and and the Adventure in Time and Space too, the original film that's being made. Those stills are incredible, just yeah. incredibly accurate to what the uh, original series was. Looks uh, looks very cool. Uh, so, any final thoughts for Halloween? Anyone, any wishes? Any Halloween wishes you want to send out there to the folks? Uh, just you know, my my daughter has requested for her Halloween costume this year to be a zombie bride. Nice. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, my wife had to make a wedding dress, which she's never done before, <laughs> and then. We had to, you know, tear it apart and burn holes in it and cover it in dirt, which I think was a little painful for her <laughs> for all the time and effort she put in. But, uh, yeah, I'll be very curious to see how that uh, whole costume comes together. But uh, it's an unusual request. She always surprises me every year with what she wants to be. So this year for us, it's Zombie Bride. That's kind of awesome and tells me that yeah. she's not afraid of zombies. That's right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, uh, give her my best and tell her have a, a happy and safe Halloween. Get lots of candy and don't eat it all in one night. Are you talking to her or me still? Uh, both of you, actually. Oh, okay. Okay, let me ask you this, Halloween style. 
what was your least – you come back, you empty the bucket out. What was your least favorite candy that hit the floor? Anything licorice. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, anything licorice. Yeah. I, my, my, remember those things that were – I don't know if they even make them anymore. They were like peanut butter toffee kind of things. Taffy, I'm sorry. And, and they were just either in a black wrapper or an orange wrapper. Oh, yeah. Do you remember those things? I do. Was it peanut butter? Was that the flavor? Yep, yep. They absolutely were. I hated those things. See, I still like those. I, I they, like they those still, to this day. What are they called? I don't know. I didn't know they still made them. Like, I like they do. They absolutely do. You could use those as weapons. Like, they never were soft. They just seemed generic and just, oh, that's what – it's like, you know, Charlie Brown, I got a rock. You'd be like, oh, that's the house. <laughs> they got the orange and black thing. Oh, forget it. Move on. Yeah. Forget it. Never mind. But there was always a person in the neighborhood that used to do these little gift bags. It was like a little paper, almost like a little popcorn bag, you know, paper popcorn bag that had Halloween on it or whatever. And inside would be like a sucker, a chocolate bar, you know, uh, some, some Smarties and like a plastic spider ring yeah. or like an eyeball ring or something. That was my favorite stuff. Someone took the time to make a little bag of goodies, including a toy, uh, to, to put in my, in my bucket. So that had to take a lot of time. Yeah, no kidding. Because back then, there were kids all over the neighborhood. Absolutely. They were lousy with them. Absolutely. Uh, so that's, um, that's my favorite stuff. So happy Halloween, everybody. Watch some monster movies. Eat some candy. Because from this point on, it's nothing but Christmas. Shove, right. shove down our throats. True. Uh, so happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. That's right. It'll probably be two weeks after this, but this is a long episode, so yeah. So you got you got a little bit extra, so space it out. Yeah, exactly. All right. Excellent. All right then. Have a good time in New York. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right.